You're listening to online media from Glendale Christian Church. For more information, visit us at glendalecc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at glendalecky. Well, good morning. Man, it is good to see all of you here today. We want to welcome in our online community too. It's glad to, we're glad to have you with us, joining us for our first live stream with people in the building. Um, I'm telling you, I was kind of trying to track along on my phone as uh, we were uh, going through, and it, it just looks great to see people in the building. And uh, so we're, we're really excited about that. Hey, I want to tell you about a couple of things that we're really excited about before we jump into the message. Easter is, as we've been saying, is two weeks away. Our theme is Graves into Gardens. You've seen maybe uh, the poster on the door as you came in. There's a couple posted in in different parts of the building. And man, they look fantastic. And and it's a great picture image of the hope that we have. Because we're going to go from something dead to something living. And that's that's the hope of the gospel, right? That Jesus came to bring us back to life. And so we're really excited about that. And, And Mike and I and some of the staff, we've been talking about our hope for Easter. You know, last year, Easter was not in person. It was online. And if you watched our live stream at that time, we were, we were still brand new to the online game. And, and our live stream really struggled. Uh, Facebook just wasn't prepared for the amount of churches that were going to live stream. And so they've made some adjustments. We've made some adjustments, and we think it's going to be a lot better. But what we're really praying for is that Easter is going to be the day where everybody decides, okay, it's time. It's time. We've been gone for too long. It's time to be back in church. And so we're hoping that this place is full. Uh, for both services, we hope that we have the, our lar- largest online viewing that we've ever had. But we're praying that Easter's the start, as Mike said, of a great revival that begins to take place. And I think, I think it's going to happen. So, but it's only going to happen one way. And that's if us, if we tell people, and invite people. In fact, I would say even do one better than invite somebody to come with you on Easter Sunday. Bring them. Take them out to lunch. Mike said, I'm taking everybody to lunch. Don't count on that. But, but bring somebody with you. If you invite them, they might come. If you bring them, they'll be here, right? So think now who you're going to bring with you. And, and let's have a, have a great Easter worship. Uh, it's going to be a great day. We've got a sunrise service that morning at 730 with Gilead Baptist and, and Rio Taylor there. Uh, preacher's going to be bringing the message, and, and he's a great young man. I'm looking forward to hearing him. Hope that you'll be a part of that. Um, Good Friday is going to be an incredible experience that we're putting together. We're having a, a walk-through prayer experience. It's going to be interactive where you can come in, and you're going to really walk through the narrative of that story of, of Good Friday and be able to interact with some different elements, and, and it'll culminate with a time of communion. But it's also going to be very prayer-focused, too, and so we think that's going to be a powerful experience. We've got some very creative people working on that. And in fact, they're getting together a little bit later this afternoon to, to put some finishing touches on it. And, and so uh, go ahead and sign up for that. You can sign up online or you can uh, sign up through the, through the link that I provide in my email every week. If you aren't a part of that email and you want to be just uh, fill out the contact card or if you're watching online, drop it in the, your email in the comments or send us a, a Facebook message and we'll get that. Or you can go to our website and we've got an online contact card that you can use. So all of that stuff is all coming up. But today, we're, we're finishing up this series we've been in for the last nine weeks called Character Matters. For nine weeks, we've been talking about the characteristics that Paul mentions in, in Galatians chapter 5 that we know is the fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking about these characteristics and these virtues because they are the characteristics of Christ. And we've been saying through this entire series that we want to reflect 
the image of Christ to the rest of the world. When the world looks at us, they should see something different than than everybody else. They should see the image of Christ, right? And so if we're going to reflect the image of Christ, we need to know what that image looks like. And so we've been going through the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5. And today we get to the very last one, self-control. Now, a couple of you have told me throughout this series that you were looking forward to this one, this message, because self-control is the thing that you maybe struggle with the most. And I would say that you're not alone in that. In fact, I think that would, if, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would say that most of us in here, if we had to gauge out of the nine which one we struggle with the most, this would be the winner. Back in the 1980s when drug use became an epidemic among young people and and teen pregnancy and AIDS were on the rise and gangs were turning urban communities into into war zones, someone came up with a really simple solution for this problem. And it was this, just say no. Just say no. If we could could just teach young people to to say no to to drugs and to sex and to violence and and to all of those things that were plaguing our communities, if we could just teach them to say no, then we could save tons and tons of lives and maybe even reshape the American youth culture. That idea caught on, and with, the, with a little help from the First Lady Nancy Reagan and the cooperation of mass media, the Just Say No campaign blanketed America with school curriculum. There were TV advertisements, celebrity endorsements. In fact, the police departments and county sheriff departments got involved, in, and they joined uh, the efforts with a program that they called the D.A.R.E. program, which stood for Drug Abuse Resistance Education. Anybody remember the, drug, the D.A.R.E. program? Okay. Several of you. I think I went through it in like the sixth grade, I think, is when we did it. But, but it was a simple strategy. Teach young people about the dangers of these risky behaviors, and then train them how to respond to that temptation, to that peer pressure, and teach them to just say no. You know, when you're at a party and when someone tries to put a drink in your hand or give you a pill, just say no. When you're alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend and they're pressuring you to do something that you don't want to do, just say no. When, when someone taunts you and you're tempted to strike back at them, just say no. Forty years later, Hard to believe it's been 40 years, but 40 years later, the D.A.R.E. program is well-funded. It's an award-winning program. It has been taught in almost every school district in the country, as well as over 50 other foreign countries. There's just one problem. One problem. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Surveys over the last 15 years have revealed again and again that educational programs not only fail to, to reduce risky behaviors... But in some cases, they actually increase them for the people that went through those classes. In 2001, the U.S. Surgeon General officially placed the D.A.R.E. program in the does not work category. And the reason it doesn't work is simple. It doesn't go deep enough. It just doesn't go deep enough because saying no isn't something that we just do with our minds and our mouths. It's something that we do with our hearts. And saying no requires something that most teenagers just don't have at that point in their life. Self-control. And so as we approach the end of, of this series on the fruit of the Spirit, we come to what may be the most curious, the most elusive of all of the Christ-like qualities. It's curious because self-control seems to be like a, a, a private, personal virtue. But as we've been talking about throughout this entire series, that these are relational qualities. All of these characteristics are designed to improve our relationship not only with Jesus, but with one another. So what does self-control have to do with the people in my life? What does self-control have to do with my relationships? What does self-control have to do with how we interact with each other in the church? Well, 
We're going to talk about all those things. Self-control, it's elusive because we all have to admit that young people aren't the only ones that struggle with self-control, right? They're not the only ones that have a hard time saying no. Don't believe me? That chocolate cake sitting in the refrigerator around midnight. Hard to say no, right? When, when those pornographic websites are just a click away, it, it can be difficult. When that person at work is, is really pushing your buttons, it can be difficult to, to just say no and walk away from them, right? You really just want to let them have it. As important as it is for young people to use self-control, it's just as important for adults, for Christians, to use self-control as we function in the body of Christ. So let's look one more time for the last time in this series at Galatians chapter 5. Let's see what God has in mind for our relationships with each other, with the church, and beyond. Here's what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Love, as we learned in the very first week of this series, is, is acting in the interest of others, no matter who they are. Uh, joyous is taking delight in each other as we develop into the people that God has called us to be. Uh, peace is enjoying harmony that is unique to, to our community despite our differences. Patience is offering each other that time and space and, and that relational space to grow into Christ and, and to allow God to do a fresh work in our lives. Kindness and goodness, we said, involves reducing the harshness of the world around us, making our world a little softer. Uh, gentleness is, is, we talked about last week, giving up that control of people and, and allowing God to do the work that he, he should do. Um, faithfulness, we talked about two weeks ago, we said it was about keeping your word no matter what. No, no matter what the situation you find yourself in, you were to keep your word because that's what Jesus has done for us. So today, let's turn our attention to that, to that last characteristic, self-control. What, what is it? Why is it so important? And how do we get it? Well, the English dictionary tells us that self-control is the ability to exercise the will so as to restrain one's desires, emotions, and behaviors. I'm struck by that definition, but particularly I'm struck by the word restrain in this definition. Because the word restrain implies that there's a problem with our desires, with our actions, with our behaviors. That, that if, we, if we don't control them, that they'll get away from us like, like wild horses that might take us places that we don't want to go. Secondly, I want you to notice this about this definition. It requires an exercise of the will. Self-control, the, the dictionary says, is an exercise of the will. So, so that means that, that strength uh, that we have, we have to develop strength to restrain our desires, our emotions, and our actions. It must come from within. It, it can't be an external factor, an external force. Let me ask this. Why is it so difficult for us to get up and go to the gym in the morning? Or get up and, and have some quiet time with the Lord before our day gets started? Why, why is that so difficult for us? But Because it, it's not difficult for us to, to get up and go to work or to get up and go to school, right? We, we do all of those things on time. Well, it's because there's an external factor there. There's an external force. If, if you don't go to school, what happens? You get bad grades. You, you may, may flunk out. If you don't show up for work, what happens? You get fired, right? Everybody likes to eat, so, so you show up to work on time, so, so you get that paycheck. But no one's forcing you to get up in the morning to, to exercise or, or to spend time with God. So, so developing that self-control, it has to be a strength that comes from within you. It, it's a matter of the will. The, the Greek word here used 
that is used, it runs along the same lines as that idea. It's a compound word that begins with the word for strength or for power. It attaches the prefix meaning of in or within. And so in Scripture, self-control literally means strength within. It's the ability to, to govern your own behavior. Plato, the, the Greek philosopher, he described it as self-mastery. Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he uses this word a couple other times in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 24 through 27, he uses it to describe an athlete who masters his body to, and his emotions in order to, to run a long race. He says, I beat my body and I make it my slave. In, in every long distance run, if you've ever done long distance running, you know that there's a moment when you just want to stop. When, when your body says, it's time to quit running. That lactic acid begins to build up in your calf muscles and, and, and you, you, it hurts. You, your lungs, they start to, to gasp for air a little more and your lungs are telling you it's time to stop and your mind is saying listen to your body all of these things are going on it's time to stop I've told you before but when I was training for a marathon and I didn't get to run it because of some injuries but when I was training that was my biggest fear is that on race day I would get to mile 20 and think oh no I still have six more miles to go (laughs) it is a long way to run and and there's that point where you you just think you got to stop and so at that point, it's not only a matter of physical strength, but it's, it's mental and emotional strength. The, the willpower to keep your mind and your body going when, when everything in your body and mind says it's time to stop. That's self-control. That's self-control. Paul uses the word again in 1 Corinthians 7 when he's talking about sexuality. He acknowledges that our sexual drive is a powerful force that can easily take us places that we don't want or need to go. I think we know what he means there. When, when, when society treats uh, sex so casually, when it's common practice to be sexually active outside of marriage, it takes great self-control to say no. In fact, Paul counsels single people to, to say it's better to get married than to risk being ruined by lust or by immorality. He says it's better for you to get married. But notice one more thing, though, about self-control. Self-control isn't an end to itself. Self-control isn't an end to itself. It's always for a greater purpose. It's always for something better. The athlete, he masters his mind and his body so that he can win the race. The, the single person, they, they restrain their sexual desire so that they can enjoy sexuality fully in their marriage. Self-control is the ability to say no in order to say yes to something else. That, that's what I want you really want you to remember today, is that self-control is the ability to say no so that you can say yes to something else. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, why is self control so important in our relationships? Well, remember this Paul is writing this letter to Christians who he was not getting along with, who they weren't getting along with each other, and they were, in fact, very upset with him. So, so why does he include this virtue in his list of virtues? Well, it's really simple. Because if we can't say no to our own comforts and our own conveniences, We'll never be able to serve one another. If we can't say no to our preferences and our, and our agendas, we'll never be able to defer to one another. If we can't say no to our pride, then we'll never be able to admit when we were wrong or, or reveal what's really going on in our lives. If we can't say no to fear, then we'll never walk across the room to meet a stranger or to walk with a family going through a season of grief. You see, we have to say no to ourselves in order to be able to say yes to, to somebody else. You have to be able to say no to yourself so that you can say yes to others. 
I, I received an email from a person in our congregation a, a couple of weeks ago, and they gave me permission to share a few lines from their email. They write this. They said, for me, the biggest obstacle to my relationships in and out of the church is handling conflict and differences. Some people just irritate me more than others. Anybody know people like that? Don't name names. They said, I'm I'm working on that. But it's mostly due to my own lack of self-control. I just want to tell it like it is instead of speaking the truth in love. But I know that that leaves a trail of hurt and I can't always see when I'm in the middle of it. When we can't control our own emotions and our desires and our behaviors, we end up hurting one another. We end up hurting those around us that we love. And that's exactly what was happening to the church in Galatia. To to the Christians there, they were were hurting each other. That's why Paul wrote this letter, because their differences of opinion had broken out into open conflict and people were being hurt as a result. Instead of serving one another, instead of deferring to one another, and instead of accepting one another, they were provoking one another. They, they were envying one another. They were jealous of one another. They were being judgmental of one another. And so Paul includes self-control in this list because they needed to develop that strength so that they could say yes to one another, so that they could serve and love one another. So how do we develop this strength to say no to ourselves? Where, where can we find this strength to say no to ourselves? Well, luckily, Paul tells us. He tells us in the verses leading up to our, our main passage of Scripture. In verses 16 and 18 of chapter 5, this is what Paul writes. He says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another. So that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The the reason it's so difficult for us to exercise self-control is that we have this fallen, sinful nature that's within us. These self-centered desires and and, and tendencies, they always seem to get the best of us. They always always seem to to reach up and just bite us. I don't know if this is true for you, but I feel like it, it probably is for most of us that we all have that one thing that we're constantly praying about, right? That, God, if you could just help me with this, if you could just help me with this, if you could just help me with this, and, and we just kind of say, I'm, I'm going to get it right this time, right? I'm going to do better. I'm going to grip my teeth, and I'm just going to work harder, and I'm going to get it right. Well, that's what the Galatians were doing. They, they were trying to wrestle this sinful nature to the ground in their own strength by obeying the law, just by gritting their teeth, by trying harder. And they were failing miserably. It was a losing battle for them. And, and I'm going to guess if, if you find yourself in similar circumstances, you find yourself always going back to ask God for forgiveness for the same thing. You know why? Because you're doing the same thing. It's a losing battle when, when you're trying to do it in your own strength. Earlier we described our, our desires and emotions as, as wild horses that, that need to be restrained. Now I've, I've never ridden a wild horse. I've, I've ridden a few honorary ones. And I can tell you this, that when they make up their mind of where they're going to go, it doesn't matter how hard you pull on the reins or how, how loud you yell, whoa, they're going to go where they want to go. In, in the same way, we will never overcome that sinful nature in our own strength, at least not over the long haul anyway. We will always find ourselves going back, just gritting our teeth and saying, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better. That, that's why the Just Say No campaign doesn't work. We can teach young people about the dangers of sex and drugs and and violence, and we can train them to say no in a controlled environment. But when they get out there in the the quote-unquote real world, when they face real-world circumstances and situations and temptations, 
When, when, they're, when they're lonely and they want to feel loved, when they're sad and they want to feel better, when they're angry and they just want to take it out on somebody, that's when their emotions and their desires get the best of them. And they can't control themselves. And it's no different for adults. We, we know this. We know the dangers of, of living beyond our means, uh, of eating or drinking too much, of losing our temper or committing adultery in our hearts or our imaginations. We, we promise ourselves we're not going to do these things again, and, and for a while we don't. But eventually, eventually the pressure or the pain or the temptation is just too great, and we give in. Like the Surgeon General, the Apostle Paul places the just-say-no approach in the does-not-work category. In its place, though, Paul proposes a new strategy, and it's, it's one that I really like. In fact, his strategy was this, just say yes. Just say yes, not to ourselves, but to the Spirit. Go back and look at verse 16, at chapter 5. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit. And if you live by the Spirit, he says, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You see, only the Spirit of God is strong enough to, to overcome our fallen, sinful nature. So when we yield to the Spirit of of the Lord, when we surrender our will to His will, then and only then are we able to control the desires that that possess us. Then and only then are we able to control our emotions and our, our actions and our behaviors. When we say yes to the Spirit, we can say no to ourselves. And when we say no to ourselves, we can begin to say yes to one another. And I hope that makes it a little, bit, a, a little bit of sense. I hope it makes it a little clearer why Paul included this attribute, this characteristic of self-control in his list. And I think it makes sense that Paul put it at the end of his list. Paul begins his list with love because love is the foundation for, for all of the rest that follow. But he ends his list with self-control because without it, none of the others are possible. If you don't have self-control, you're not going to be very loving you're not going to be very peaceful. You're not going to, you're not going to be very faithful. You're not going to be uh, very patient. You're definitely not going to have any joy. Nobody, nobody likes having that thing that they struggle with all the time and they just have to keep going back to God to ask for forgiveness over and over and over. That, that, that's a struggle. That's not, that's not fun. That's not living. That's surviving. And God didn't call us to just survive. God called us to live and to thrive. God has called us to a life full. A full life. Not one that is just barely getting by. And I think the problem for most of us, the reason that we seem to just be surviving in our spiritual life, that we're not thriving, that we're not producing the fruit that we want to produce, is because of this right here. Because we don't possess self-control. We don't possess self-control. If we will learn to say no to ourselves, yes to the Spirit, no to ourselves, and then begin saying yes to those around us, I think we'll see life change completely for us. I think we'll see relationships begin to, to blossom and to bloom and to grow. I think, I think we'll see the church begin to explode because when the world looks at us and they look at the church, the people in it should look drastically different than the rest of the world. And if they don't see that, then something's wrong. Remember, these are not works of the Spirit that we accomplish in our own strength. We we don't do this on our own strength. We cannot produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control by ourselves any more than we can cut a branch off a tree and and expect it to still produce apples. 
It has to be attached to the tree, right, if it's, gonna, if it's still going to produce apples. Just like us, we have to remain attached to the vine. Jesus calls himself the vine in, in John chapter 15, right? He's the vine. And if we want to stay connected to the vine, we want to produce fruit, we have to stay connected to the vine. All, all through this series, we've been admiring the way that Jesus demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit, these qualities in the face of criticism and disappointment and weariness and betrayal and justice and pain and abandonment. Well, how did he do it? How was he able to do it? Where did he find that strength from? Well, he found his strength in the Holy Spirit. And that, that same spirit that descended on him like a dove at his baptism, who, who led him into the wilderness to be tempted, who, who uh, appointed him to preach the gospel to allow the to, to make the, the blind to be able to see and, and to give power to the mute to speak again. Throughout Jesus' ministry, it was the Spirit that directed him and sustained him. It empowered him in accordance with God's will. And on that final night, on that final night of his life before Jesus went to the cross, when he was begging and pleading with the Father, hey, if there's any other way, can we please figure something out? He knelt down and he prayed this, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. There, there in, in the Spirit, he found strength to say no to himself and yes to the cross. And on that cross, on that cross, he gave up his life for the sins of the world. For your sins. For my sins. You see, Jesus gained control by surrendering control. And it's the same for us. We gain control when we surrender control. I don't know if, if you feel like this, or maybe you know people that feel like this, but um, you look around and you just see people whose passions and desires are, are just out of control. And, and that, like I said, that's, that's not a joyful li- way to live. It, it's a frustrating way to live. And you'll never be able to change that in your own strength. You'll never be able to get your, pa- your passions, your desires, your actions, your emotions, your behaviors, all of those things. You'll never be able to get them under control in your own strength. But, there's a but here. But, if you're prepared to turn to Jesus, to confess your sins, to receive, forgive, to receive His forgiveness, to identify with his, with his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, to receive the Holy Spirit, then then you will be given the strength that you need to become the man, the woman that God has created you to be. Saying yes to the Spirit isn't just a one-time decision, though. For me, it's every day. Sometimes minute by minute, moment by moment. Even if you've already submitted, and, and just looking around the room, I feel like most of us in this room have already submitted to, to the will of the Father. We've given our lives over to Jesus. We, we've been empowered by that Holy Spirit. But even if you've already done that, there are chances, high chances, that there are areas of your life that are still out of control. Habits or desires or behaviors that frustrate you, that you just can't seem to get under control. I want to challenge you today to begin to surrender those things over to Christ. To, to surrender your life fully and wholly to His, to His power, to His control, to His will. Because again, when the, when the world looks at the church... What do they see? I'm afraid that most of the time they see people that look a whole lot like them. Who act a whole lot like them. Who talk the same way as them. And they don't see any difference. And you know what they think? They think, well, I'm okay then. 
I'm okay. They, they're not any different than I am. I'm okay. You know what the difference is? The difference is Jesus. Jesus makes the difference. It, it's in these characteristics that are godly characteristics, that are Christ-like characteristics. That's where the difference is made. Jesus makes the difference in all of our lives because without Jesus, we are like the rest of the world, without hope. But Jesus and his Holy Spirit allows us to live with love and with joy and with peace and with patience and with kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Jesus makes the difference. He makes the difference in all of our lives and he makes the difference in the world. So I want to challenge you this morning to begin to to give those areas of your life over to him. The areas of your life that, that are frustrating you, that seem to be out of control, give them over to him. Not with your own strength. You'll never, you'll, never, you'll never get it on your own strength. But through the strength of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live self-controlled lives. I'm going to pray for us in just a minute and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I'll be down front and I would invite you, if you need some, something to talk about, you need, you need to surrender something. I would love to pray for you. But let me pray for all of us right now. Father God, we love you. And we are so grateful for the power that you have given us to be able to live a life that displays self-control. And Father, we don't always get that right. Father, too many times we, we seem to just be coming back to, you, back to the foot of the cross with the same old sins time and time again. Father, would you, give, would you empower us to surrender those things over to you so that we can live a life that thrives, a life that bears fruit, a life that reflects the image of Christ to the rest of the world so that when the world sees us, they see you. Because character matters. And we want to live a life that is full of character, full of your character. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.